So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. Yep, so on Twitter it's at Folk on Falcons and on Facebook it's simply just Folk on Falcons. So this week we're going to look back at our trip down to London Irish look ahead to our trip to proper Ireland, um, chat about a few rugby matters and goings-on, and obviously finish with the roundup of the weekend's local and national scorelines. So um, without further ado, let's launch into the London Irish review. There's actually a very good turnout, I think, on the whole by away fans down at the Brentford Community Stadium. Um, didn't have to look far to see another Falcon shirt at the ground, did you? Yeah, that's right. I mean... Obviously, people who travel down like me and people such as yourself, sort of Geordie expats who are living there and I imagine sort of take the opportunity to, to go and watch these games. While we're on the subject, I will do a shout out for our mutual friend, Adrian, who um, has been having a go at me for some time when he does go to these games. I'll never mention him, so there's his mention. Um, but yeah, you're right. There was a good turnout, actually, for, for your Falcons fans. So you could definitely see the odd shirt, the odd flag fluttering around the ground, which Obviously, it's always really nice to see. Yeah, and also I think a shout out to our friend we bumped into in the station. Sorry for giving you a hard time because you're a trade union rep and uh, joking about you being on strike. I hope you didn't take it too seriously. Um, so, first of all, I think um, it was very nice to see London Irish giving Doddy Weir the respect he deserved and the minutes applause before the game started. Um, I was a bit unsure whether it would be a minute's silence or a minute's applause, but I think um, a minute's applause was probably the, the right decision in the end. Um, and like you and I, there was actually a reasonable number of people wearing their Doddy we uh, shirts of various vintages so um that was quite nice to see yeah you're right i mean it was the, the perfect tribute i think yeah if they weren't playing newcastle they would have done the, the same tribute anyway but you know obviously i think it was more poignant and than the fact that that weekend that they were playing us of course and it was a great reception from obviously the way supporters but the home the home sports as well and you know well done well done london irish for, for doing that and you're right it was nice to see other doggy shirts dotted around the place and you know, if there was a time to wear that shirt, then of course that that was the time to wear it, and that that in itself was great to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether in a fortnight's time, when back at Kingston Park, there might be a, a tribute locally, um, given that there obviously thousands of fans who would want to pay their respect to weren't on the road at the weekend. Um, so. Once once the game started, it didn't start well for us. It was just unforced errors, cost us dearly, especially in the first half. Um, I counted five that were pretty telling. There were two kicks that went dead very early on, another three kicks out of hand and straight into touch. And I think cumulatively, that's 200 yards we managed to give away just from AWOL kicks. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, we've done so well the past couple of weeks, and last week in particular, where we, we really kind of stopped doing these silly errors or at least reduce them and same about discipline as well which was much improved but kind of went out the window in that first half and I felt that actually when we got to half time only six points behind we were kind of fortunate to do so I felt London Irish didn't look actually that comfortable and didn't look that that wonderful and I, I know they were bottom of the league at the time and we know that you know they're probably on bottom of the league side but you know they looked like a team that wasn't playing that brilliantly and we were just gifting them opportunities and letting them kind of control the game through, through our errors and, and through our, our poor discipline and giving them penalties and footholds. And I felt in the first half in particular, we kind of just had ourselves to blame, really. Yeah, when we when we had our chances, we only took one of them, albeit we took that one very well from the set piece with um, Radwan's little loop around and they're actually doing a very nice pass that um, a lot of centres would be pleased with over to Carreras just to walk in in the corner but um, yeah like you say unforced errors um, it wasn't just in the um, the kicking department it was just simple things that we were getting wrong odd handling error and then um, also quite unusually our scrum was on the back foot there was a, a number of penalties given away 
not just an open play, but also at the set piece, which I think is actually quite uncharacteristic for us. Might be due to maybe props that haven't played all that much together. I'm not sure. Brocklebank and Palfman starting. I'm not sure when the last time that those two started together was. But I have to say, actually, in the second half, when the uh, scrum replacements happened, I'm not sure there were as many penalties thereafter. But that could have been the prime two had gone off as well. Yeah, well, we made the point there about perhaps an unfamiliar, or at least a front row that hasn't played a lot of time together. And I think we are a little short there, actually, in the front row at the moment. I mean, uh, Davidson hasn't featured in a while. Willipola wasn't available that weekend. So, yeah, I, I think we were a little short then. Perhaps that was a factor. But I think credit London Irish as well. I think actually in the past couple of years, they have built up and developed actually a very strong pack. And they are very much a threat from that. I know perhaps the wingers and, and Paddy Jackson does get a lot of the attention, but I think their their pack does, good, does actually go under the radar. And I think we saw that certainly elements of that, at least in the first half, where, like you say, they were dominant in the set piece, which we don't see a lot on. That's normally a strength for ours. And you saw it also where we had opportunities where we kicked the touch and we had uh, so we had we had the we had penalties and we kicked the touch and we were you know we try our usual trick more for about five six meters out and they actually dealt with it pretty well better than a lot of teams have so far this season so I think again that goes to show that they do have a lot of strength there yeah our line out um, on the whole the throwing and jumping and catching part was okay but like you say they they had us matched in the mall I'm not quite sure if we were doing something different or they just worked it out and it'd be interesting to um, look at a load of um, footage of their mall versus other teams malls or ours in that game because there was something that was very different one of the two sets of forwards and I can't believe it's just brute force because I Although they're a well-organised pack, then not the biggest. So um, interesting to see what that was. I think there's a few players that actually, although the team or the result didn't cover us in glory, I think big call-outs have to go to Pepper, who once again was fantastic on the day. Obviously got his try. McGregor's not going to be too pleased that other people have started scoring from the back of malls. But um, it wasn't that... It was wonderful play by him to get the try. He scored it, but I think it capped off a very good performance. But then I think Oyotimbo played very well. Um, he's looking better and better every game he plays. And he's just, like I've said before, he's just got this ability to get through the first tackle or slither that extra couple of yards and get defence on the back foot. But obviously, if you get defence on the back foot, it's good to get quick ball. And once again, that wasn't the case at all at the weekend. I'm not sure whether they're told to play it slow whether it just happens or what, what the issue is. But um, I feel like when other teams get a bit of a head of steam up, they look threatening, whereas we just take all the energy out of any attack straight away. Yeah, I felt that over recent weeks, obviously, when we have picked up two very good wins, we've been very clinical, I thought, once we kind of got within the opposition 22. Certainly when we're sort of very close or five metres out, we actually look pretty good. But we was even in those wins, there were times where, you know, we're still going side to side, backwards, doesn't look like as much incision with ball in hand in midfield. But I thought <laughs> the other day it was a case of both just didn't look that good. Again, it was a similar problem, as I say, the kind of flat, no incision, sort of in the build-up to the 22. And then even when we were there, again, I think for the first time in a good few weeks, we didn't look threatening at all. I thought the Nash actually dealt with us quite well. And again, it sort of went side to side and then, you know, a few phases and then we would give away the penalty or something. And then that would be that. And we hadn't seen that for a good few weeks. So that that was very much disappointing. Yeah, there were a couple of moments the game could have changed, actually, because at half time we were still well and truly in it and still weren't truly in it, actually, until 15, 20 minutes from the end when we let it get away from ourselves. And I think one, one moment in the first half was when Callum Chick um, cut a very good line and it just wasn't quite timed to perfection with the runners going off him it's one of these ones where three people kind of were there for the offload straight away but just the timing of the run there's nothing you could have done about it really it's just the timing of the open play the players weren't quite in the right place at the right time and then in the second half we had a good 10 minutes um, of territory and possession and 
we ended up coughing it up after a series of penalties where we hadn't gone for the posts and then a clear and kick by them later uh, we're on about the halfway line and we do a couple of bits of play that weren't actually typical of our play throughout the game and box kick I remember that was the first one of the match and everyone kind of thought oh it's the first box kick we've done wasn't terribly good and then um, before you know it we're back under our own sticks and then um, with the last 10 minutes or so there was obviously the unusual unforced error from Radwan where he let the 50-22 go straight um, or bounce into touch when he thought it was going straight out might just be not familiar with the stadium or gust of wind or something but quite atypical and then finally I just don't understand it anymore with referees um, Wayne Barnes yeah he's very experienced does it? I guess he knows what he's doing but there was a time uh, just before oh, Carreras went off, I believe, with concussion after he lands on his head. He didn't look too clever after it for quite a while. And he lands on his head because he was taken out in the air. And it must have been seen. We're at the ground, so we don't have a, the, the, the review of the, the conversation that the referees have. But there's no way it can't have been seen. And he was taken out in the air and landed on his head. And I'm sorry, but if that had happened in open play, that would have been at least a penalty and a yellow card for uh, the offending player. But it ended up just being called back to a London Irish penalty earlier in the phases of play. And it just got completely brushed under the carpet. I just don't understand it anymore. And then contrast that with London Irish scoring um, probably their, their fourth or fifth try. And then they take it back and uh, yellow card Tom Penny for a, a high tackle, which, to be fair, probably was a yellow card. But to allow London Irish to score their try and then also give Penny a, a yellow card versus to not even look at the Carreras instant, I just don't understand it anymore. I, I, I'm completely flummoxed. There might be a technicality within the law book that I'm not familiar with, but very odd. Yeah, I mean, you think, especially nowadays, where player, self, player safety rather is seem to be paramount that even if Lemnarch did have the advantage and obviously we'd committed the penalty but it wasn't the dangerous foul play penalty but we'd committed the penalty just because Lemnarch had the advantage and the play went back to that original penalty that doesn't mean that they should not look at the Carreras incident um, because you, again you know we're thinking about player welfare here it may not have been a foul it may have just been a rugby incident and whatnot but it's definitely worth certainly having a look at but there was sort of one fleeting replay, wasn't there, on, on the big screen, but that was it really. But that was only just sort of a replay of the action as opposed to a replay of, oh, let's have a look at this incident again. And I think you're right in that I think that is wrong. And just because, you know, I don't know how to have an advantage doesn't mean they should get also get a double advantage of they could commit any sort of foul play and it's fine, which is on the face of it may well have happened there, which... It is wrong, and that shouldn't happen. If it's a technicality within the laws that you can't go back and review that, then it basically gives a green light to any team with an advantage to do a crossfield kick and then dump the opposing winger on their head. Because um, it wasn't like a, a completely accidental act. It happened right in front of us. It, it didn't look completely accidental. It's the sort of thing where um, you've seen red cards given for it at times, but it's normally at least a yellow. And... Um, I just, yeah, I just don't understand it anymore. I wish I did, but I, I'm confused. Don't understand. So, I mean, after the match, obviously I've watched Walder's comments and Mickey Young's comments, or rather um, their interviews on your Premiership Rugby TV. And, I mean, to be fair, though, I think they were right. Certainly Walder's comments were that first half we were lucky to be six down. I think that that was right, as I mentioned before. And that the, they sort of, throughout the game, just sort of didn't get it right. Um, I'm going to give them sort of benefit of the doubt, I suppose, because they have got it very much right the past couple of weeks, but it's it's interesting that. And I think it's a bit disappointing to end, well, to have sort of go into a break, a league break, on that sort of performance. And and Mickey Young was sort of saying the same thing, how they never really got going. And they both of them, to be fair, said that after half time they felt there was a response. And that's obviously when we did get ahead briefly 
in the match. But then after that, it kind of fell apart again. And uh, the, to be fair, that is what we saw. But it's just a case, I suppose, of, well, like we say, most weeks, unfortunately, making sure that doesn't happen the next week. But uh, look, we just have to hope that the good two weeks isn't like a, a good blip, I suppose, and that this London Irish performance is the blip and that we can, once the league starts again, we can kind of get back into winning ways, I suppose. You mentioned the, the league break coming up. Obviously, that's because we've got a couple of European games coming up. Um, firstly, we're away over in Galway against Connacht <coughs> next weekend, um, a trip I'm very much for, looking forward to taking. And then following that week, um, follow, the following weekend, we are hosting Cardiff at Kingston Park. The way this tournament is structured, the Challenge Cup, it's not necessarily straightforward, but... Um, a bit less straightforward, given that Wasps and Worcester no longer exist. Yeah, so um, actually, the the club released, um, and uh, you can go on the website, it's sort of a news article outlining sort of how the Challenge Cup is going to be working this season. Because as you say, uh, with both Wasps, both Wasps and Worcester obviously not participating in it anymore, uh, the way they've done it is that um, there's going to be two pools or two groups, one with ten teams and one with eight teams. Um, now, in those two groups, the top six teams both go through to the next round, and they are joined by four Champions Cup teams. Now, so this obviously you're thinking, well, don't you want to be in this smaller group because obviously you have a better chance if there's six teams in both groups to go through. And of course, we're in the group with 10 teams. So we have we have the smaller chance there. Um, but I guess it's like all these competitions, you know, you've got to, you've got to win your games, you've got to particularly your home games to have a chance of progressing. And I think if we win our home games, you've got to think that we should do. I mean, we just remind everyone, we, our fixtures rather in our pool, in our group, are Connaught and Cardiff. So, you know, if we can get a good start away to Connaught and we can back that up with a, a win against Cardiff, which I don't think is completely out of the question. Then obviously that puts us in a, in a very good position to at least get out of the pool. Um, and then obviously you'll have the seedings in terms of where you finish in your, in your pool and whatnot. Um, but that that's really kind of as it is at the moment. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one in that we play four games in a pool of 10 against the same two teams twice. So we've obviously got the return fixtures um, in mid-January. Um, so that's when Connors coming over to the northeast, and um, we're going down to... The Welsh capital. Um, it'll be interesting to see how seriously the Falcons take the tournament because when we spoke to Matt Thompson earlier at the start of the season, he said that they very much want to take them seriously. And given there's no relegation again and um, there are big gaps in the fixture list, it certainly would make sense for the club to take them uh, seriously given that I mean there's actually some playing time going on at Kingston Park later in the season yeah well exactly that I mean especially in a relegation you've got to think we've got to have a go at this competition we've also said before that we question how seriously all clubs including the Falcons take the Premiership Cup seriously or lack of seriousness so I think for this tournament, this is the one we really have to go up. This is, let's face it, this is probably the main cup tournament of the season, isn't it? So we, we should really have a go at it. There's no reason why not. Um, I think we've got two reasonably decent ties. Well, obviously, both home and away against Connor and Cardiff. They're not insurmountable by any means. Get through that and then, you know, knockout stage against probably sort of similar teams. And, you know, who knows why Why not have a go in this competition? I know it's the same balancing act and we say this every season about, well, you know, we, we, there is a squad and we have to obviously use that squad and we have to look out for injuries and whatnot. And the league, I suppose, is always going to be the priority in many ways. But again, like we've said, and, and as you say, like Matt Thompson said earlier on in the year, you know, let, let's have a go at this competition. Why not? And I think it would just be great to at least, I think, challenge for some silverware. Um, if not to actually win something. Yeah, I certainly did. I hope they take it seriously because 
Um, I'm travelling over, and it's by no uh, means an easy trip flying uh, into Shannon Airport and then getting a hire car. And I know there's a few other fans actually making a bit of a journey out of it, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I think they play at something called the Greyhound Stadium, or I don't know if it's got a sponsorship name, but it's, it'll be interesting to see how, how many Falcons' voices you hear there. But I also hope it's a good um, performance to stick in, because I'm going to be missing the start of the uh, the football um, England-France's overlapping with it so um, I have to pile into an Irish bar somewhere and um, maybe not cheer too loudly when England uh, beat France but um, that's we'll worry about that following the full-time whistle in the rugby I think um, weather forecast wise looks like it's going to be very Kingston Park-esque the current forecast is um, snow on the Friday and a bit on the Saturday freezing cold um, which is just brilliant because Ryanair allow you basically a shoebox worth of clothes to travel with these days. So um going to be like some sort of, I don't know whether there's a cartoon character or something that's a big fat lad or one that's uh, wearing all of his clothes, nothing in a suitcase, I don't know. But I'll basically have every single item of clothing I'm travelling in on until I get on the plane, at which point I'll take them all off again. As long as you've got your Falcons Christmas jumper, that was the important thing. Well, that's going to get its second run out of December, yes. And I may uh, probably be travelling with my... Uh, one of my, maybe two of my Falcons jerseys, a Christmas jumper, my hoodie I inherited from Mark Mayerhoffler, if you remember him, um, my Falcons anorak windbreaker jacket thing, uh, my Falcons hoodie, full works. Don't forget your hat as well, don't you get cold ears. Oh yeah, of course. Hat and gloves, can't be forgetting them. And also a flag. So, whilst we're on to the topic of going overseas, um, been a bit of an exodus of English players as of late. Um Sam Simmons announced a couple of weeks ago he's off to France, and it seems like he's being joined by Cowan Dickey next season as well as uh, Montpellier also. And then um, rumour has it Marchant's going overseas as well, uh, also to France. So what on earth's going on there? Well, I mean, the Marchant rumour is, is confirmed it this afternoon. Star France actually confirmed it that he's, he's moving over there. Um, yeah, it's something which, as you say, has just sort of recently come up the past couple of months or so. You know, we've talked about this sort of ageing English team, and, and it's, it's quite ironic, I suppose, because when we criticise Eddie Jones in England for picking players who probably pass their best, but we're now sort of seeing players who either are past their best or probably are at the absolute, uh, you know, they're not going to get any better. They're kind of at the peak in their only ways down. Now sort of looking to take lucrative contracts in France. Um, maybe it also kind of depends not only on their potential England career or lack of it or future England career, but um, also the clubs. I mean, Exeter are rumoured to want to sort of cut the wage bill a bit and they you know they've had some big name departures and they haven't really replaced them and Karen Dickey would kind of be added to that list. Harlequins with Marchand, Harlequins obviously made some big signings over the past couple of years and you know players are gonna have to go. I mean we're perhaps we're seeing a combination of the salary cap taking effect and just kind of the general sort of financial circumstances of, of rugby clubs in general at the moment. And you know perhaps something's got to give and that thing that's giving is is England internationals either current or only recently former sort of being given the hevo and looking elsewhere for a payday yeah and um well they're all going to be formers i think is the question because as it stands with our current setup and our current coach the uh selectionist you've got to be playing england to play for england and is there something we don't know going on where simmons cowan dickie and marchant have all been told yeah you're still going to be in with selection chances because the way i understand it is they're not going to be eligible for the world cup which seems incredibly odd that they wouldn't have just signed a six-month extension and then worried about it next december something very very strange is going on but if if um you can still get selected for england and go overseas which um would obviously be a very different tack that 
they're starting to take. I can see there being a huge exodus, which um, may favour Falcons domestically versus other English outfits if all the other clubs lose their good international players. But on the European stage, it's going to be a death knell for English rugby. It will be, yeah. I mean, what, what we'll see is... Like you say, probably the best players in England, well, best English players, will go abroad. Because obviously the, the money's in France, so you'll have a yeah, so you have a situation where if you're if you're an English player and you're good and you're likely to be playing for England, why would you stay in England unless you have a particular loyalty or for family reasons to play for a particular club in England? If you're looking out for your career or financially, then you're going to you're going to play in France or even perhaps elsewhere, because why, why France? Why not go and play for a Super Rugby franchise or something? I know it's a travel, but you know, just be hypothetical here. Why not? I mean, the whole world's open to you then. So it actually, it, it opens the door to England players to go anywhere in the world, really. Um, and as you say, you made the point about how it, it does seem a little odd how these players, such as Callum Dickey, Simmons and Martin, who you, you would think would be in and around England selection, World Cup selection, um, I'll, I'll make these decisions to potentially, on the face of it, sort of quit the England team for good. Um, so you're right, there's something a little odd there. Maybe there's something that we don't know about, or maybe they, they can kind of see the writing on the wall, on walls that we can't see, but who knows, it is an odd one. Yeah, and... Um could be good news for George McGuigan uh, if Cowan Dickey's off and not getting selected in the future. It might be good for Radwan as well if Martin's going away. There will be the knock-on effects, but um, overall it probably bad news for English rugby in terms of quality, but potentially good news for the Falcons if other teams lose their best players. And as you've been saying, um, maybe things going on that we don't know about. Um, as of recording, 9 o'clock on Monday the 5th, there are rumours afoot that Eddie Jones is getting the boot. Exciting stuff is happening. It's never nice to for the individual if someone loses their job, but I think it's probably the best thing for English rugby. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, it's never nice to want someone to be sacked, but at the end of the day, this is top-flight professional sport and you are very much judged on your results, not just performances. And they obviously haven't been good enough and we know they haven't been good enough. And I think that it's it's just become too much. I think the pressure's been too much. And I think we've seen that in the last game against Africa where England supporters actually booed the properly booed the team, which you know, we, we never see. And you know, England fans have a sort of polite, you know, a reputation and whatnot. And for them to do that really goes to show we know how much RFU kind of values the, the money that they do pay for, you know, for, for for England matches and whatnot. And if if that looks under threat, then I think they have to make the decision. I mean, maybe that's kind of edged over more than anything else but we know the results and performances haven't been good enough and even if we are close to a World Cup it, it's got to be the right decision it has to be because England with Eddie Jones will not do well at the World Cup England with someone else might and I think that's the way we've got to go down Yeah but we've also got to look at it that um, before the World Cup we've got the Six Nations and I wouldn't want to use it as a warm-up tournament but it's all Eddie Jones would have done so time to roll the dice and maybe play a different style of rugby get Don Brandt in get like at the weekend, um, when Hassel Collins and Radwan, there's a point when they were a couple of yards away and they were having a quick chat on the way back to a restart, which I have to admit I'm not a big fan of, but remarks to you, there's the two best wingers in English rugby right there and they never get a look in for England. So um, maybe it's the chance to turn over a new leaf and get things moving. Let, let's see. We can only we can only hope so. Wales have done it with Pivak going and bringing Gatlin back. So um, fingers crossed that something changes or it's going to change. I guess the question is, who is the big question? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it's been a talk of, of a few candidates, um, but uh, the only one who's actually sort of properly ruled themselves out is Ronan Garo, who signed a new contract La Rochelle. But I think it's it's just pure speculation. Gatman possibly was one, but of course they say he's gone to he's gone to Wales now. I think personally for me, I quite like Scott Robinson. He's been the, the Crusaders coach. He's kind of been bought for many years, groomed to be the new All Bats coach, but they've sort of kind of ignored him. So I think 
if you're sort of England dangled a contract for me, be very tempted to, to take that. And I think that would be a very exciting, and I, would, I would say left field actually, because it would be a sort of mold that England don't usually go down. So I would like them to, to try that. But it, obviously at this point, it's all just pure speculation. And, you know, it's just names on a list. It's just sort of names you could just write on the back of any list just sitting down there. Um, so we'll have to see. Indeed we will. But if anyone in the ivory towers at Twickenham um, wants Ian and I to rub our crystal ball for you, you you're more than welcome. We're um, telling you about the woes of Wisps and Worcester months and months and months before that happened. And sure enough, it did. And we've been telling you for probably the last 18 months, two years, we're not too keen on any Jones and eventually a caught up. So, um, yeah, if you, if you want us to rub our crystal ball, we're more than happy to tell you what to do with the way the game's going. Um, I've got a long list of suggestions for you, but I'm not going to bore the listeners with them. you have to just pay me the big bucks to get hold of that. Right, so if we just move on to a roundup of the weekend's action from the Premiership, on Friday night, Bath lost at home to Harlequins, 13 points to 19. On Saturday, obviously, London Irish beat us, 39 points to 17. And there's also a win for Gloucester over Northampton, whilst Bristol hosts and Leicester drew 26 points apiece. On Sunday, there was another game for Exeter where they beat Gloucester 50 points to 33, but that was in the Premiership Rugby Cup. Um, that's the last you'll hear of the Premiership Rugby Cup as far as I'm concerned because we're not in it anymore unless there's a, another reorganisation of it. Um, they're stuck in a couple of extra fixtures for various teams, didn't for others. Got no idea quite how it's fair or whatever, but don't care, we're not in it. If we go around the region... On Saturday, Donald Mountain Park beat Cinderford 33 points to 15 in National League 1. In National League 2 North, there was a draw for Bladen at home to Preston Grasshoppers, 22 points apiece, whereas Tandale lost 38 points to 14 down in Huddersfield. Regional 1 North East, victory for Acklam, 34 points to 10 over Ilkley, and a victory for Billingham down in York, 19 points to 29 in Regional 2 North. Keswick lost to Durham City, Morpeth hammered Carlisle, Northern beat Middlesbrough. Penrith and Percy Parks postponed. So in that one, you've got Penrith beginning with P, then two P's on the score sheet, and Percy Park beginning with P. So load of P, that one. Um, South Shields lost to Concert, and Stockton lost to Aspatria. Durham and Northumberland Division 1, quite unusual in that all the home teams won, so I'll just rattle through these. Uh, Acklam beat Darlington. Medicals beat Whitley Bay. Rockcliffe, Novos beat Horton Peter Lee, Pontelan beat Hartlepool Rovers, Sunderland beat Hartlepool, and West Hartlepool beat Gisborough. Durham and Northumberland Division 2, Ashton beat Barnard Castle, CMB Redcur, Centrefield beat North Shields, Wallsend lost to Gateshead, Whitby lost to Bishop Auckland, and Wynn Leighton Vulcans lost to Wrighton. In Durham and Northumberland Division 3, Blythe, Donovan, Parkley, Elizabethans postponed, Houghton got a home walkover over Sag Hill. Seton Crew get score of the week with 116 points to nil over Jerovians. And Yarm beat Prudders Stocksfield 34 points to 14. So that concludes the weekend's roundup of the regional scores. And I think it also rounds up the podcast for another week. So um, look forward to speaking to you all following our jaunt to Ireland. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.